1: So it wasn't an SUV at 5 a.m. in South Florida. It was a red Ferrari around 2 a.m., and Jason Pierre-Paul told dispatchers that he was okay. Now we know he's not okay. We've got the accident report and Jason Pierre-Paul's 911 as We sort out what really happened in that one-car accident May 2nd. The Rays lost 3-2 to to Arizona in 13 innings. They struck out 23 times in the process, but they still win the series over the Diamondbacks. They have a day off today. Before the Yankees come to town. That's right. We've got all that. And Mark Tompkin, who covers the race for the Tampa Bay Times to break down the team that entered Wednesday, was still having the best record in baseball. All on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, uh, you know, right now, about now, your electric bill's going up because it's starting to get hotter. You're using the air conditioning, and your electric bill could be way over $300. That's just insane. If you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bills, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. That's right. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available, and they don't use high voltage like many of the other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They also have a full showroom to uh, see their products, They're open weekdays. Now, May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years, and they've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers There's many other solar companies out there that are imitating them and trying to use their great name. Just remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they don't subcontract for any other company in any other way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills. Start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit by changing to solar energy Through 2019, call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Okay, so more information on Jason Pierre-Paul's one-car accident. Of course, this happened on May 2nd at the time. TMZ reported that it was an SUV. He was driving around 5 o'clock in the morning. Apparently, uh, that was not the same accident, but uh, there was an accident that involved JPP. And this happened also on May 2nd. It was closer to around 2 a.m., uh, in the place that he described um, in Fort Lauderdale near the uh, airport, International Boulevard, and Davy there on I 95. And instead of driving an SUV, uh, JPP was driving a red Ferrari, which apparently uh, it had been raining. Uh, the roads were, were wet as well, and he lost control of his vehicle. I don't know what speed he was doing at the time. There was nobody there to clock him, obviously. Uh, but he actually you know it spun around the according to JPP, it spun around almost three hundred sixty degrees uh, there and um, you know wound up striking uh, the median or a um, really what what sounded like a wall according to a witness uh, and uh, disabled the car. JPP called nine one one you're gonna hear that as well. Um, but you know he's fortunate that he wasn't um, more severely injured or that another car didn't come along and then and strike his car because his car was disabled there. Uh, sort of pointing the wrong way in the highway. And so that's that's why he called dispatch, and, and they sent out the Florida Highway Patrol, who filed a report that uh, we have since received. So it's it's funny because, um, you know, when he got back to Tampa, of course, he had been taken to the hospital, him and a passenger examined and then released, and, you know, he was not sighted in the accident. But the Bucks wanted him to uh, be evaluated by their specialists, and when they did... That's when, a several days ago, that Adam Schefter reported that Jason Pierre-Paul uh, it was found to have a, a small fraction in one of the vertebrae in his neck, and that it's possible that he might need surgery, in which case he could very likely or would very likely miss the season. Uh, there's been other reports that they're hopeful uh, as he goes and sees other specialists that perhaps he won't require surgery and could be back for the start of the regular season. But kind of a freakish accident. Um, according to the accident report, the airbags didn't deploy, so. You know, you just wonder. Um, he, he took a pretty good wall up there to to damage the car and and end up in the position he was in. Um, but as he as you'll hear uh, during his call to the 911 dispatcher, uh, he indicates that he was not injured. What highway, I help you? Hey,
0: I'm on the middle of the highway, and I'm by uh Port of the Airport International Boulevard by the sign Daisy Boulevard, and my car just got uh just did a 360. Um, in the middle of the road and I'm heading south. I'm in north. Are you sure so you're on 95?
1: Yeah, I'm on 95 heading north.
0: Okay, and you're by Davy. Yeah. Okay. Like right there by the Portland International Davy Boulevard. So you did the 360. Did you hit anything? Yeah, I hit the median, but I'm okay. Okay. Are you blocking the roadway at all? Nah, but it's like right in the middle. Like, it has to be move or a cop need to come or somebody's going to hit that. What's your vehicle look like? It's a Ferrari. What color? Red. They have your first name and phone number?
1: Adjacent to your palm.
0: All right. I have the information where I know how to get a trooper sent out to you, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. Stay safe. Bye.
1: Yeah, just, I mean, you can hear sort of the uh, excitement in his voice there, but um, certainly sounds completely lucid and and, um, clear-headed and all those things, and and there was no indication that um, he was, you know, somehow uh, inhibited in any way. So, unfortunate for JPP, I mean, just another freak thing that happens that you can't really account for. The weather obviously was a factor, and then driving a, you know, a high-performance sports car uh, Might have been something that, uh, you know, that was less stable or on the highway. But, I mean, we consider this guy's history, the fireworks accidents, now this, to take him out like that. It's very unfortunate. And the Bucs, you know, like I said, they still haven't made a determination just what his treatment will be. And until they do, um, you know, there's not going to be, you know, sort of a corresponding move. I don't know if they'll look to free agency. And there's some guys out there like Ziggy Anza although I see where, I think Seattle might be close to to signing him and some other players in free agency, or uh, do they try to make a trade? You know, Jadavian Clowney supposedly is still available for a trade uh, from the Houston Texans, and there'll be other veteran players that might start to uh, trickle out as you know teams uh, get to see what they have in their rookie classes and start making you know positions available for some of the guys they drafted. So. It's unfortunate for JPP. I mean, you know, again, 12 and a half sacks last year. You can't replace a guy like that very easily. They were counting on him heavily, and the timing of it couldn't be worse because it's after the draft, not before. And so, there's really not much they can do in terms of you know deciding to to maybe take another defensive lineman or something like that. So, we'll follow this case and uh, wherever it it may lead. But it looks like the accident is as described uh, in the in the report, and and as you heard there. From Jason Pierre, uh, Paul's call, just an unfortunate situation that he got into uh, losing control of his Ferrari on that rainy night in uh, I-95 near Fort Lauderdale. Well, Steve, I watched this uh, afternoon game that the Rays had, uh, the end of the series with Arizona. They win another series, of course, against the Diamondbacks, but they had a chance the fourth time to, to sweep a series at home. They didn't get it done, and they go 13 innings, and they lose 3-2 to to the Diamondbacks. Just stranded a ton of guys on base. Um, all kinds of chances to win this game, even in extra innings. Again, some more base running mistakes certainly led to some outs. Won by Kevin Kiermaier, who delivered the tying hit in the ninth inning. So uh, unfortunate for them that they couldn't get the sweep. They got a day off today. They'll begin a series against the Yankees. But this was one, you know, they're starting to lose a lot of these one-run games. And it's, it's sort of becoming a thing with the Rays right now, especially at home.
0: Yeah, the one-run games, they don't do very well, and even two-run games. But if it's a blowout, then they're pretty good.
1: Mark Topkin joins us now. And, and Mark, the Rays went into play on Wednesday with the best record in baseball. Um, we are a week into May. How surprised are you that that's the case? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been surprising
0: in a way, Rick, in that you know they came into the season with optimism. They came into the season with momentum off last year's 90 wins and their strong second half. But you still needed to see him go out and prove it. And, um, you know, there's much talk and there will be a lot of talk this weekend about all the injuries the Yankees have had, but the Rays have lost a number of guys I and mean, they started the year without Matt Duffy. They lost, uh, Joey Wendell. Then he came back. He got hurt again. Austin Meadows has been out a couple other guys, Hunter Wood. Uh, now some catchers are hurt. So they've had to deal with some injuries too, and they've managed to sustain this and, you know, still be you know, right at or, or at the top of the major league standings overall in terms of their record. So a little bit surprised. The pitching's obviously been a big part of it, but you know they've sustained it for now. But yet, on the other hand, it's only really about 20% of the schedule. And as their own GM said the other day in talking to Eric Neander, that, you know, they still have to, some sizing up to do against the better teams. They really haven't played the better teams yet, and that stretch is coming outside of the Red Sox. And to this point, they haven't been one of the better teams, but that stretches upon us now with the Yankees two weekends in a row, and then you'll see the Dodgers come in here. They play the Indians, definitely do play some of the tougher teams. The Twins are coming up soon also.
1: We'll talk about the Yankees series coming up here in just a minute. Um, let's address a little bit about their injuries. Uh, you mentioned the catching situation. Michael Perez is already on the I.L., and then, of course, on Wednesday, Mike Zanino uh, injured himself.
0: Yeah, it's really been a rough 24 hours because uh, Perez was good to go. He was in the starting lineup on Tuesday was Eager. I talked to him you know, over the weekend, and he was really eager to play. he been in the Diamondback organization for eight years as a minor leaguer and kind of got his you know get-out-of-jail-free card when the Rays traded for him last July. So he was really looking forward to it and probably just felt something kind of warming up before the game and told the trainers, and they were concerned enough to tell him he was out of the lineup. Zanino got thrown into the lineup last night, or Tuesday night, excuse me, and then... Uh, they decided Perez needed to go on the injured, reserve, injured list. And then Zanino, as you said, in Wednesday's game, he's running a first base and he pulls up in the eighth inning. His quad tightened up on him and they're going to do some further checking. But just, you know, the sense of talking to Zanino and uh, just, you know, how he was kind of acting in the clubhouse after the game, I think he probably fears uh, this could be an injured list stint for him too as well. So the Rays suddenly go from two catchers they were pretty happy with to neither one, you know, being available possibly for at least a couple weeks.
1: I know they go over a lot of scouting reports, and and these pitchers have an idea what they want to do. But but how how much might that affect their pitching staff? Well, I think
0: it will because you know Zanino is a guy who you know acquired in the off from Seattle, and you know true veteran type catcher really has made his his priority to learn every pitcher, to learn what they want to do. And you know it's funny, we sometimes you think these guys are they really paying attention? You know how seriously they take it and. You know, Mike Zanino knew going into the last spring training game at the trop that he had not caught Ryan Yarborough in a game the entire spring. Wow. It was the only pitcher he hadn't caught. So he asked to play in that game at the trop while Yarborough pitched just because he wanted to catch him. So, you know, those kind of attention to detail type things. So I think losing both catchers who obviously have the familiarity with the staff at the big league level is going to be significant. I mean Nick Schufo was in spring training. He caught most of these guys. He's been at Durham since. So he'll have some familiarity especially with the relievers, maybe you've been up and down, but you know, not as much with Blake Snell, not as much with Tyler Glasnow, not as much with Charlie Morton. So there'll be a learning curve there. And if Zanino ends up on the injured list as well, and they stay internal, which you know, you'd think they would. I mean, obviously they can always try to make a call if there's a veteran out there, but for a short-term thing, They have a guy named Anthony Bemboom who was signed as a six-year free agent and been a AAA player with the Rockies for a few years. He got hurt in spring training and just now in the last 10 days or so started playing again at Durham. Uh, So, you know, he won't have a lot of familiarity with these guys at all. So it, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, you see the catchers looking over to the dugout a little bit more and there's more pitch calling that's done from the dugout or they just give the pitchers a little bit more free reign. But there's no doubt there'll be an impact of losing both experienced catchers.
1: And in such a big, important position defensively, too, because Zanino very good at uh, throwing out runners. That's been one of their advantages as well. They do have one guy coming back, I guess, uh, Mark, or it would appear to be. What's the uh, update on Austin Meadows? And I I saw where they sent Nate Lowe down.
0: Yeah, I would think that sending Nate Lowe down, that's the rookie who was called up a week or so ago, the kind of power-hitting first baseman who really got a lot of hits while he was here but not really showed much power. I think all of his hits, maybe Mm -hmm. except for one, were singles. and. Right. Uh, really didn't didn't have a chance to drive the ball as he wanted to or thought he would, and certainly they expected him to. But uh, sending him down after the game Wednesday, it would appear to clear the path for Austin Meadows to be activated and be in the lineup Friday night when they face you know the Yankees and right-hander Domingo Herman. The only hitch to that I could see would be if you know like if Zanino just needed a day or two and they wanted to be protected, so they bring up a third catcher, tell Meadows to wait a day or two, and then when Zanino's you know ready, send the other catcher back down if something like that were to happen. but you know without complicating it, Austin Meadows was playing an extended spring game on Wednesday did well. That was the second of the two planned games. The idea was to just bring him in Thursday, let their trainers check him and if he's good to go, activate him. and you know sending low down, like I said, kind of creates that space for uh, Meadows to get back in the lineup.
1: and they, they would seem to need his bat right about now. You mentioned some of the injuries they've had, but Meadows was as hot a hitter as, as they had before he became injured. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Until Meadows
0: got hurt, he was the guy. People said, "What a great steal they made from Pittsburgh to get Austin Meadows." And then he yeah. gets hurt, and then Tyler Glass now goes off and runs his record to, to what five and zero with a one point four seven ERA and wins pitcher of the month in the American League, and you know, and, mm. and all this stuff. And now people are saying, "Wow, they got Tyler Glass now for Chris Archer from <laughs> Pittsburgh." So if Austin Meadows gets back out there and picks up anywhere near the, it's really going to you know highlight uh, what they got out of that trade and. You know, to this point, obviously the returns have been good, and, and I think Meadows will help them. I mean, he was hitting the ball with power. He was also, you know, making a lot of contact. He was getting on base a lot. And you know, we've seen some guys go through some struggles here. I mean, Yandi Diaz maybe is coming out of it a little bit. You know, Zanino was out for a while. He was like in an O for seventeen or something until the other night. William Adamus has been up and down. Daniel Robertson's been struggling. So, you're know, getting Austin Meadows back in there, and if he's like at anywhere near where he was, will really complement things for them.
1: You mentioned Tyler Glass now, and I guess maybe this is the best evidence that spring training may not mean as much as some people thought because he was as he was as bad as, as you could possibly be, I suppose, and I know he was doing some things experimentally even with pausing his his windup and stuff like that. This guy is a dominant pitcher and right now the best pitcher in the American League, but it doesn't seem like an accident it's It's really about his stuff and the way he's attacking hitters, Mark. Yeah, I mean
0: it's interesting because you know when they got him last year, Rick, he had been kind of given up upon by the Pirates. They kind of shuttled him off to middle relief, and you know he he'd had his opportunities, and you know and not you don't know, don't even know that you can blame them. I mean they'd given him a number of opportunities to be in the rotation. He he didn't sure. throw enough strikes. He fell behind. He was getting knocked out of games early, earning his pitch count up. So he was pitching kind of middle relief for them and. You know the Rays kind of gave him a free reign and said, "Look, we want you to be a starter. We're going to let you start. Don't worry how you do. Don't worry if you know we pull you. We're going to you know just build you back up and, and let you run here." And he had some really good games. And he had some really bad games for the Rays last year. But to his credit, you're right. He had a horrible spring. He kind of gave a va- validation to all these spring training it doesn't mean anything. Truthers out there and proved <laughs> that 0 and five with a 10 something counts for nothing. And got to the start of the season, scrapped a little pause in his delivery he was experimenting with, and basically just said he wanted to, you know, kind of change his mindset, be aggressive, go out there, show that all he wants to do is win a ball game, pitch it, throw as hard as he can. He's more athletic. He doesn't worry about all the little checkpoints. And there's a lot of levers there when you're six, eight, and you got all these arms and legs going everywhere, but just go out and throw the ball really hard and snap your curve ball off really hard and see how it works. He shared something after the game the other night when I was talking to him and he said, you know, one thing he does is on the day he pitches, he gets angry. And, and he uses anger as kind of the, the antidote to fear. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you think about it, and you know, he just goes out there angry with a point to prove, and it's been great. Now, the next challenge is going to be he's going to have a bad game or two. I mean, he might have it Friday night against the Yankees. Who knows? And yeah. you know How does he bounce back from that? Is, is that a you know bubble burst kind of thing? Because his confidence right now is a huge part of his success. So if he has a bad game or two, does that dent his confidence? Does he start rethinking things, or does he just shake that off and bounce back after, you know, one or two starts? I mean, he's not going to be great for 33 or 30, whatever he ends up with. They're going to limit his innings a little bit. But that's really the next challenge because he's been, sure, uh, pretty much dominant through this point, no doubt.
1: Or maybe he gets angry and then comes back out and has another good start. There after you that. Go. You never know. Blake Snell um, was off to a great start, and then I guess he decided to do some furniture moving in his bathroom after a shower. Mark, you know, the line of demarcation was going to be that, that whole incident with uh, breaking the toe, and he, he continued to say he felt good as, after he built himself back up for innings-wise, and then he went out there and proved that he was damn near perfect the other night. I guess Snell was on the other side now of uh, of whatever little struggle he was having. Yeah,
0: and, and, you know, it's interesting. I know you and I had talked some in the, in the pre-production meetings that Steve catered so well for us before we recorded this, and um, – <laughs> yeah. Very lavish budget. I'm very impressed at the time. spring. It is right at Sports cool. Day,
1: Tampa Bay. We bring it. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, that was that was tremendous. The, the, the charcuterie platter and everything. So, um, <laughs> and just just the idea, though, that you know w- where he was going, how he was doing, and, and what was going to happen next, and, and just the way it went forward from there. So, I think it's actually worked out pretty well. I mean, the the, the big challenge was and he he alluded to one thing. That's what I was going to say. We talked about this. Was you know, he had said something after the first Kansas city game that it felt to him, like they were on everything through. And then sometimes that's a red flag. Cause is, is that code for, you know, was he tipping his pitches that they know, were they peaking? Was he giving right. it away? And then asked him about it, you know, kind of dismissed that and said, no, it was a matter of making his delivery more consistent. But then after the game went on uh, Monday night, I, I actually didn't cover the game. So, I, you know, watching the TV interviews and watching the, the movement of the ball during the game is really interesting sometimes. And, But he said something after the game, and someone asked him, what did you do to your delivery? And he said, I wanted to make sure everything looked like my fastball coming out. So Uh, it did kind of maybe play into that. Maybe there was something. Tipping just
1: a little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, whether it was tipping specific pitches or just when it wasn't a fastball, he was doing something different. And then, look, the the, the eagle eyes that the teams that have in the dugouts, the coaches and, you know, the, the staff sometimes, and not even scouts, but even just people in the dugout, the players sometimes that aren't playing, they are watching everything, and it could be as simple as the position of his glove or he taps his glove on his other arm once or twice and doesn't do it for a certain pitch. Or something. They pick up on that stuff right away, and word spread. So it could be something as minute as that, but it seems like it was something to do with the non-fastball pitches versus the fastball, and he obviously got took care of it because you're right, that was one of the most dominant performances you've seen in a while for him.
1: Amazing how how hitters at that level will look for any little edge they can get, and they certainly need it against a guy like Blake Snell. The third guy in the rotation, uh, other than the uh, openers, of course, is Charlie Morton. Um, he's struggled a little bit with a lot of base runners, Mark, but somehow he's managed to wiggle off the hook for the most part. It's cost him at times, and uh, but you know, like I said, um, he's just going out there and, and sort of doing his thing, but we haven't seen the best of Charlie Morton yet.
0: No, I mean, he's 3-0 and in eight starts for the Rays, and you're right, I don't think there's been after, there's been one game after that where where he's come off the mound, and, and either as someone watching it, or even as Charlie himself, where you'd say, boy, he really pitched well. I mean, there's mm-hmm. been a little something each game, and, and yet the results have been there. I mean, he hasn't lost a game since, like, early August. You go back to last season when he was with the Astros, but, you know, he's kind of giving the Rays what they want. I think, you know, the one thing talking to him about it is he'd like to be going a little deeper in the games. You know, some, he's been giving them five or six innings where he'd like to give six or seven, and Part of that is because he's run the pitch count up, a lack of fastball command, and part of that is the Rays are being very you know, conscious of handling him, too. I mean, and he admitted, you know, he pitched on six days rest on Wednesday, and, and you know, he said he doesn't mind the extra day, and talking to him about it in advance of the start, he even said something like, you know, the Rays are being a little more overt about it. He said other teams, you know, once in a while, they'd be like, hey, we will give you an extra day or something. He said, the Rays have been very clear. We're going to give you the sixth day when we can. We're going to pull you an inning early sometimes. You know, they are... Their goal is to keep him healthy all season, and he, he's right. Last year was the first time, I think if you look back, as long as he's been in pro ball, last year was the first time he made it through an entire season without having an injury issue where he had to miss some time.
1: All right, Mark, they've gotten some great performances from some young players, and, of course, one that is uh, maybe a rookie of the year candidate was the rookie of the month, uh, the first month of the season, and Brandon Lau, he had a kind of a rare day and not a good day on Wednesday. <laughs> um, set a club record for strikeouts, which was You had to look up what that meant. Five strikeouts in a game.
0: Yeah, I mean I know you know, golden sombrero is what you get for four strikeouts and that's what you know, it's kind of a long standing baseball thing. And yeah, when he was after four somebody in the press box said, Oh, what happens if he strikes out five times? And so we started googling around a little bit and I did learn that if you have a five strikeout day that's getting the platinum sombrero, (laughs) which would seem really heavy. But then also, yeah. there's also another another uh, site said that you can refer to that as the Olympic ring. So oh. there's kind of something fun to that, like five circle. You, know, you struck out five <laughs> times. But he did have a hit before his five. So there was an extra in game. So I guess we'll have to go with Platinum Sabero, But first time in Rays history someone said that. I mean, it happened it already happened twice before in the big leagues this year. But first time in 22 years of Rays history with some bad hitters along the way. But nobody's ever struck out five times in a game before. So not something you would have. I thought for Brandon Lau, and especially some guy wrote in the Tampa Bay Times on Wednesday morning how he's been like the key to their offense and one of their best players and, and, you know, the guy that they really count on a big situation. So, so much for that article.
1: Some guys can't handle the clippings, man. They start reading them, and then it changes everything. <laughs> um, you know what? He he has had a, a great impact with eight home runs, leads the club, and, uh, you know, the platinum sombrero. Not notwithstanding, he just left a lot of guys on base, as did as did the Rays. That's the one thing. And let's talk about strikeouts. I mean, they, they set uh, 23 strikeouts. I know it was an extra inning game on Wednesday, 13 innings. They lose three to two. Um, but that's kind of the way baseball is going. Although I, I wouldn't necessarily I don't I mean, the Rays, you wouldn't look at it as built as a home run team, although they do hit home runs. But that's probably a little too many strikeouts even for them. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They were actually within one of their record for a nine inning game and then, you know, things changed and they went on and played a beautiful thirteen, but way too many <laughs> strikeouts. I mean they maybe even more damning, Rick, than the twenty three strikeouts overall on Wednesday is with runners in scoring position, they were uh, one for sixteen with ten strikeouts. Oof. So there's ten out of sixteen scoring opportunities where they didn't put a ball in play. And that's been yeah. something that they've been pretty good on. We know we've made a lot out of you know, how many games they scored first in, they're Scoring margin in the first inning, all these things that they've done right in getting out to early leads, but striking out with runners in scoring position, not moving the runner, not at least forcing the action, not at least creating an opportunity for the other team to make a mistake. I mean, those are just things you can't do. And they've been doing better at that. But lately, it seems like it's dropped off. And today, I mean, Wednesday was certainly glaring.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. Runners in scoring position. They had the bases loaded um, in the eighth inning with two with uh, a two to one game and managed not to score a run. So a lot of opportunities. That was one of the strikeouts that Brandon Lau had as well. Uh, the other thing that's gotten them in a little bit of trouble. I mean, and, and you know, it has been their base running. Um, it happened again uh, on on Wednesday. Kevin Kiermaier... You know, got a big hit, had a great at bat, and yet he sort of lost his way off of first base, and that that sort of forced a uh, you know a throw home um, to get to get Tommy Pham.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I understand what Kiermeyer was saying, and that he was kind of screened by the uh, umpire and didn't see the shortstop coming in to take the throw. But I think the bigger question is, what was he doing trying to go to second base? I mean, in, in a you know, if you really want to push the point there, I mean, if he gets the second, it eliminates the chance for the force out at second. That kind of situation, but you, you your run doesn't mean anything. The winning run is Tommy Pham there, and you know, if the idea was to get in a run down and get Pham home, there probably was a better way to do that too than that as dramatically as he did it. So it ended up not working out. Pham gets thrown out at the plate. I thought the Rays might have had a decent appeal on the challenge there because it did look like the catcher had kind of blocked the plate off, but you know, no luck on the replay and. That ended up costing him, obviously. They ended up going the extra innings and ended up losing. And you know, there was another base running mistake along the way there, too. And Tommy Pham got picked off a of first base. And in a situation where he really wasn't trying to run, he didn't have that big of a lead. And, you know, that's the, at least the third fairly significant base running uh, mistake that Pham has made, maybe even fourth this year. So this is a guy who, if you talk to him, he prides himself on his base running, on thinking how much he can help the team with his base running. But he's really hurt them to this point in, in a certain degree.
1: You know, one game ended with Pham getting picked off by a catcher throwback to first base, and uh, mm-hmm. against the Red Sox. It. That's right. Yeah, um, you know the the one the one thing about the Rays is that we know that they're going to play a lot of close games. They have admitted that um, they're pitching and defense team. Um, they've won a lot of close games, of course, and and then they've had a, a nice big run differential with all the runs they've scored in the first inning. But, Mark, uh, especially at home and, and in some extra inning games, they seem to have this thing going now where they're on the wrong side of those.
0: Oh, Absolutely. They're 0-4 in extra inning games at this point, Rick. They're 1-6 in one-run games, 0-5 at home. They're 6-9 mm-hmm. in two-run games. So, you know, all the things that are, you know, the, the kind of the, the milestones or the, the markers along the way to get them in close games, they've been doing right, but when they've gotten to the end, they haven't won them yet. This was a storyline for part of last year, and, and I can tell you from being the person writing the stories about it, they're they're pretty sensitive to this. I mean, they don't like basically being told you're not good in the clutch, you're not good when it matters, and you're failing, you know, when the game's on the line, which is essentially what's happening. And Kevin Kiermeyer, he he mentioned this earlier in the year, and he actually brought it up again on Wednesday too, of saying, you know, we don't want this to be the story. We don't want this to be what we're known for, but until they turn that around and then, you know, win some extra inning games and win some of these one-run games, especially at home, you know, and have that moment, have that celebration. And sometimes it, it, it's like a cork. And once you have one, you kind of come back dramatically and win one game or have one walk-off. You end up having a couple in a row. But at this point, they haven't done it, and that's what cost them. And as good as their record is, and, and I, you know, as we said at the top here, you know, they still have one of the best records in the major leagues, but there's been some flaws and there's been some, concern, some concerning moments.
1: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, um, Mark, when you look at the American League East and you consider all the injuries that the New York Yankees have had, the bad start a little bit by the Red Sox. And here the Rays are, you know, some 10 games over five hundred or whatnot after a month or so in the season. And, you know, after the game on Wednesday, they're sitting here trying to cling to a one-game lead. Uh, in the American League East, I mean, what, boy, I mean, how much better you got <laughs> to play uh, to right. to win a division around here, right?
0: Well, and, and, and you know, this is, this is probably not a popular sentiment and something that uh, I think actually John Romano is going to explore a little bit in Friday's paper. But as well as the Rays have played and as well as, you know, as much of a kind of cool story they've been, it might be more impressive what the Yankees have done. When you think of all the guys they've heard, I mean, 13 more or less, you know, front-line type of players have been on the injured list at some point. They're getting a few of them back now, but, you know, they have played with some guys that you definitely would not name if we were sitting around saying name the Yankee lineup. And there's just some guys in there that were triple-A players for them, some guys they had to pick up and scramble to get, and, you know, just just trying to put bodies out there at some point. And, And they've managed to you say, not just, you know, hang around 500. They've managed to stay right behind the Rays and, yeah, you know, they haven't seen each other yet this year. They're going to play this weekend at the Trop and next weekend in New York, and you know, I think there'll be a little bit of, of sizing up and measuring up, and, and you know, for both teams, really. I mean, as much as it's the Rays, you know, when they got asked, you know, Cash got asked that after the game Wednesday by some people, you know, is the Yankee or the Yankees a litmus test for you or something? And you know, he handled it politely, but the answer could have been the other way around, or you know, are the Rays a litmus test for the Yankees? You know, can they play with the team that's been leading the division? So, yeah, I don't know that we'll have any conclusions, but I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, where things stand, you know, 10 days from now after they play the back-to-back weekend series.
1: And as always, it's probably going to come down to pitching. I think the Rays have their pitching set up pretty well. And their bullpen has been fairly solid throughout the year with the uh, addition uh, towards the back end of their bullpen of a guy like Emilio Pagan, who has been uh, called on and, and has come through almost every time since he's been back up here.
0: Yeah, I really think if you kind of go back to it, the credit for that goes to Emilio Pagan being one of the first guests on Sports Day Tampa Bay at Fan Absolutely, I mean, I he that was. was really. I think <laughs> no you, know, you welcomed him to the Tampa Bay area. I think you set I a did. good tone. We, I was there with you that day. We interviewed him, and I think that relaxed him. That got him comfortable, and I think it all did. his success will end up being owed to his appearance on Sports Day Tampa Bay podcast. Can't so. say the
1: same for Matt. Uh, Can't say the same for Matt Duffy. God bless him. He's, he was also he's so one of our tired, interviews. Man. So. Yeah, they'll
0: try. Now has been a good pickup, and you know I, I do think if if and when they make a move between now and you know, July thirty first, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves to a degree, but you know a bullpen a bullpen arm is probably what they need right now. I know that you know they were adamant that they didn't need an experienced closer, and and you know it really hasn't bitten them yet. There hasn't been a a you know the games they've lost, you know they've been a couple that the bullpen has let get away, but not, nothing where you'd say oh you know they've got to go fix this immediately and. Alvarado and Castillo have done a pretty good job. But, you know, first of all, A, until Craig Kimbrell signs somewhere else, there's always going to be speculation tying them to Craig Kimbrell and wondering, you know, could they work something out with him. But just overall, I mean, I do think as they go forward, adding another arm to that bullpen and somebody who's been there and done it, they don't even have to become the closer. I mean, they can still be a guy they get who pitches in the 7th and 8th inning and let Alvarado and Castillo pitch the 8th and the ninth if they need to. But just have somebody else who's back there who's been there and done it. I think that experience will definitely help as they continue to play these close games and as they start playing some of the better teams.
1: It's been a remarkable five or six weeks to start the season for the Rays. And, again, um, big series coming up against the Yankees. Surprising they haven't played them yet. They play them 19 times, and so they're going to get them a couple times here in the next couple weeks. And Mark Tompkin will have all of it for you in Tampa Bay Times. You can also read him on TampaBay.com. Thanks, Mark. All right, Matt. Anytime, guys. Well, the Rays will be off today. They begin their series, of course, with the Yankees on Friday. First place will be on the line in the American League East. For the Rays, it'll be Tyler Glass now on the mound. He's 6-0, and of course. An opener will pitch for the Rays on Saturday, and then Blake Snell will uh, pitch on Sunday against the Yankees. I'll be at the Bucs on Friday. The rookie minicamp begins then, which runs through the weekend all the way to Saturday. Um, we're going to have our popular mailbag segment, so... Uh, Tomorrow, if you guys have any questions on the Bucks, on the Rays, on the Lightning, the Rotties, really anything you want to bring to the table, all you have to do is submit your questions, and you can begin doing that now on Twitter, uh, or you can reach us at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampa bay dot com. And folks, uh, you know this time of year, it's getting hot out there. Your air conditioners are running all the time. Your electric bill is going to go up over three hundred dollars. You know that's happening if it hasn't already. If you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill, go see my friends at May Electric Solar. They're going to hook you up. They're a locally owned company. Uh, They do a great job. They've been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation. All you have to do is uh, call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit by changing to solar energy through 2019. Call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. For Steve Bersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.